Welcome back, everyone, to episode four of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I am your host, Maverick Levy. And before we hop into today's interview, I want to say a few things. First, I want to say if you have a friend and they have a business, and if that's your true friend, you better be posting their shit on your socials buying their product, whatever you can do to support it. And if you are that business owner and you recognize that you have people in your life that you call friends and they're not supporting you in any way that they can, then they're not your friend because they don't give a shit about you. Now, I just needed to get that off my chest. But before we start, I want to remind you all that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now you all know that you hear a beat in the beginning of the podcast and at the end of the podcast. And if you listen to my episode zero, you know that the person that made those beats, actually the people that made those beats were from Royal House Recording. So let's get right into it. On episode four, we have someone who is like family to me. His name is Roger Goodman. He founded and built Royal House Recording, which is the best of the best music studio that there is out there. I don't care what anyone says. And when this app drops, make sure you go on our Instagram page at tbotbpod and find some pics of Royal House. I'll tag them. But you really have to go and look at what Royal House is all about because there's no place like it. Every time I walk in there, my jaw just drops because it truly is a special place. So now let's welcome my boy, Roger Goodman, to the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. What's going on, Raj? Hey, Maverick. Thanks for having me today. Yep, yep. It's going to be a great show. Now, I always like to start with some background about my guest. So I'll start off with the first few initial questions. So how did you get into the music industry? By accident. (laughs) So he basically woke up one day, realized that he knew how to play every instrument that was ever made, the cello, the guitar, the piano at the same time. And he just was like, holy shit, I'm going to be in music. Is that how it went? What happened was it was actually kind of a random thing. I was living in California And I came home to give it a shot working in the family business. And after about six months of of living back in Detroit, I was at a mobile gas station getting gas in the morning on the way downtown. And I saw a friend nodded out asleep in his car at a gas pump. So I went up and I knocked on the window to make sure he was alive. He opened his eyes. He was all he was all fucked up. I think he was probably using heroin at the time. And um he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm great. You know, everything's good. I was sober for a long time. And he um, asked me how that was going. I said, you know, it's going great for me. I'm home. I'm working at the family business. Um, and, uh, you know, stay in touch. I'm in town if you want to get together. And then about three weeks later, I got a phone call from him and he said, hey, I need help. And I said, yeah, no shit. Why don't you come over to my house and we can talk about it? He said, well, I don't have a driver's license anymore. So if you could come pick me up, I'd appreciate it. So I went, I picked him up. He ended up living with me for a few months. I was taking him to AA meetings and taking him to um, the gym every day and doing everything I could to kind of fill his day um, while he's detoxing and, and throwing up on the floor of my guest bedroom. So it was a nice period of time. And then eventually he said, you know, I want to rap. I want to make music. So I went to Guitar Center 
spent like, I don't know, three or $4,000 on gear. We get back to the house, we start setting it up and I realize I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> so I call guitar center back and I said, Hey Larry, it's Roger. Um, I just bought all this equipment and I need you to come over after work and I'll give you like a few hundred dollars a night for like the next week. And you have to teach me how to use this shit because like I, ha I have to keep my buddy busy here. So that's kind of how it started. And I decided, you know what, I want to go back to California and I want to go to school for engineering and production. So I went back to California within the year uh, after my buddy was well on his way to, uh, you know, recovery and doing better and, you know, got his license back and so on and so forth. Um, I moved back and I went to school at a two-year program at a school called Los Angeles Recording School, which is a subsidiary of Full Sail Music School, which is in, in Florida and in California. That's amazing. And I want to take a minute to talk about how if you have someone that you know that has addiction problems, make sure you are that friend to be there like Roger was. And that's actually a crazy story. I didn't know that. That's how you got into it. So when I got into it, I decided, I just, you know, I know that this podcast is, is you know, gauged towards younger people that are trying to learn and, and figure out what they're going to do and what their future is going to hold. And a lot of times, you know, I had that opportunity to come back and work at the family business just because it was there. I wanted to give it a shot because it's a successful business. But I didn't feel like working there was going to be fulfilling for me. I didn't want to just be handed a job in a company because it was something that my family had owned. I didn't feel like that was going to be good enough for me. So I wanted to kind of go do my own thing. And through that experience with helping my friend, I found something that I was passionate about. And then I went and I pursued it, um, not necessarily do things usually work out like that, but it just kind of, things kind of fell in line and it was something that I went back to California um, and did. And my brother was um, in the same business, different genre and different kind of a job, but um, it kind of just like worked out and he, he's still in the business as well. I want to go back to something you said where you realized that music was your passion. How did you realize or what made you realize that music was actually your passion? It was kind of a therapeutic thing, producing music and making songs and recording and mixing and mastering. It's just, it's something that kind of takes me outside of myself. Um, and it's something that you can make money doing as well. It is a very tough business as far as becoming financially successful in the music business. There's only, I want to say a handful of people based on how many people are, are trying to get into that business um, every year, every week, every day. There's new producers and new songwriters and, you know, music, something that is universal, that it's not too hard to get into. So it is it was a struggle in the beginning to become financially self-supporting from music. But you, you did just it. you just never stop working at it and you'd never fuck anyone over, and never take anything from anyone. And eventually it will work out for you. It's really about consistency, especially in a business like that. Um, or if someone wanted to be an actor or a screenwriter or something like that, it's really about the relationships that you have. You might get a song placement over the next guy um, who's just as talented or maybe even a little bit more talented than you, but you have you have the relationship there. So that's something that's super important in this business is to nurture those relationships. And I'm not talking about like dick sucking people and you know that kind of shit. It's just like real genuine stuff. I had a few friends that I went to school with and one of them ended up being Justin Bieber's engineer 
you know, solely and now works on a bunch of different people's projects like Jay Balvin and, and Bad Bunny. And I have another buddy that went on to work for Scooter Braun from school. And there's just a lot of people. I mean, I don't typically reach out to those guys for work stuff. I'm still friends with them, but those relationships in the business are there and, you know, connections and things like that. And it just like, you never really know who's going to be where. So I always tend to, to not burn bridges for immature reasons um, because, you know, you never know, like I said, where people are going to be 10 years from now. Um, so you never knew you would be sitting here talking into a mic about the fact that you started the state of the art recording studio. So let's get into that a little bit. What year did you decide that you were going to move back to Michigan, open up a recording studio, build this badass place where artists can come in and feel like they're detached from the world? Essentially, when did you realize that you wanted to start Royal House? I think I broke ground on Royal House in around 2013. I, you know what? I was living in Los Angeles uh, from around 19, 20 years old till about 33, 34. And I didn't like Los Angeles anymore. And I wanted to move on with my life from like the single going out music industry scene on a social side and kind of like have a family. And I knew that I did not want to raise my kids um, if I were to have any in Los Angeles. And I knew I did not want to live there. And I knew that Michigan is a much more wholesome, slow tempo, um, good people, kind of a, you know, grounded, more of a grounded kind of a state. And so I figured I want to move back home. What can I do? And I would come home to visit once a year and I'd have nothing to do. I didn't really have many friends left here. And I would go and I would rent Joel Martin studio, which is where Eminem recorded all of his albums. And it was a private studio. It wasn't open to the public, but I would, I would come home. I would use his studio. It's kind of old. I mean, it was, it was a nice place and it's prime, but I knew that there was nowhere really to record here for artists. And Detroit was at one time Motown, which was, you know, the leading, the leading city in, in music recording and, and the music industry in general before Motown left Detroit and moved to Hollywood to follow the um, the entertainment industry and the the movie and television uh, side of things. And everything really left here. And there weren't really many recording studios, at least that were like up to date. So you were trying to bring that energy back to Detroit that started here. I figured if I'm going to move home, I'm going to build a recording studio because it's really the only thing that I know how to do at this point in my life. I had been doing it for eight or nine years in California and I loved doing it, but it was really kind of a hit or miss thing to come back here and build this style of a recording studio and this intensive a place for somewhere that didn't really have the market. There are no like boutique publishing firms or large publishing firms. There's no major record labels that have any outposts or offices here. It was like really starting from the ground up. And when I initially first decided to do it, I said, you know what, it's going to have to be an all or nothing thing and it might not work out, but I'm really willing to give it the shot because I know that if I'm consistent with it, um, we will be able to, you know, eventually be generating, you know, some income with it, but it was really a, a hit or miss type of a thing. And I just went, went all in on it. We started working on the design with my architect, Victor Soroki, who's in Birmingham, Michigan. And I spent 11 months working with him on the design which is a lot of hours of going back and forth and picking everything out. And I worked with another guy, Glenn, 
um, on the studio. He was a studio acoustician, studio designer, and and another guy, Ken Captain. And those were the three guys where, where we really put this project together. The builder was John Kelly, who was great and extremely professional, but it took 11 months to design and then it took a year and a half to build. So I'm not really working during this period because my full-time job is designing and building the studio. I was at the work site every day at seven, eight in the morning for hours. And I probably drove the guys crazy, but I needed to make sure that the place was perfect because if it wasn't, I didn't believe it was gonna be successful if it wasn't so jaw-dropping and so shocking from an architectural standpoint to really create that vibe where artists walk in and they're like, holy shit, I cannot believe this is in Royal Oak, Michigan. Like, where are we right now? And you have that feeling when you walk in there. Like I said before on the show, Royal House Recording is literally jaw-dropping. I've gone there probably hundreds of times. Roger's been there thousands of times. But I know from my perspective, when I walk in there, you still have that holy shit. This place is dope as fuck. So when you were building it, what was the must have? Like for the audience that listens to this, they might not know that there's a gym there. There is a basketball court in there. There's all these different sort of things. So what was the one must have when you were building Royal House? It was really going to be everything or nothing. I needed it to be a one room recording facility with all these auxiliary rooms around it. So that if the artist wanted to take a shower, we have a shower, a private bathroom, and there's another bathroom in the hallway. We have a gym. We have a little art gallery hallway um, with like theater curtain. Each area of the building has its own vibe while you're walking through it. Because I wanted the artist to consistently be thriving in creativity and be able to be inspired and not lose that that wow factor while they're there. So there's a little basketball court. There's a glassed in garage where you can see the car from the court. And I'd always make sure there was something really cool parked in there just to add that wow factor. Beautiful kitchen, full chef kitchen. We have a, a private chef for clients that want that added Nick to their experience. Um, I mean, some guys, their security will be there like in the weight room lifting and, you know, it's just like has everything that you need for like you and your camp to be comfortable working in there for a week, two weeks, however long people want to come in and stay at Royal House for. There is no one thing. It's everything that makes it what it is and makes it different because it's so private and it's so exclusive and there's really nothing like it. I've been to like maybe 20 or 30 major label style recording studios between New York, Miami and Los Angeles. And they were all more geared towards here's the room. We have the best gear. Um, we're going to get the best sound. The room is balanced and, and tuned. So you're going to get perfect mixes and masters from here. So we have all of that, obviously, but on the outside, there was nothing really else that made these places special, which makes sense because they're building these places to make money. So they put three, four, five recording rooms in one of these buildings, maybe 10,000 square feet, uh, 15,000 square feet. But I decided I'm going to make one place and one building, and it's going to be all dedicated to one artist at a time so they can be focused and they don't have to be um, bothered by other people's friends that are in recording sessions in other rooms and and people trying to schmooze and distract and so on and so forth. Now let's go into the music aspect, right? I think what you do, and correct me if I'm wrong with the terminology, but you produce, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I produced and, and played piano and um 
you know, done drum arrangements, song arrangements, um, co-writing um, on records for a long time, like even as a hobby um, before. What does producing actually mean? Because people that aren't in the music industry might not understand what the term producing actually means. Can you break that down for the listeners? Well, a producer can be a number of things. A producer can be somebody that, from an executive production standpoint, foots the bill for the recording session. I mean, right there, you're a part of the production process in being the executive producer because maybe you're you're paying for the engineering and you're paying for you know the mixing, the mastering. Um, you're paying for the staff. You're paying for maybe the record itself from the producer that is producing the musical composition. So somebody that's a beat maker or a producer, so to say, would be the person that would put the music itself together um, as far as like playing the, the basic chords and then whatever other melodies and counter melodies that they're doing and then arranging the actual music for the song. And then maybe you're also working with a songwriter and putting a song together to then go pitch to a record label or some A&Rs or the artists themselves. And then you're kind of, so a producer can be a number of things. There's vocal producers in music, people that work with the artist while they're recording the song, just on stacking the harmonies and getting the keys right, getting the song put together from the vocal aspect. So a producer is, is means a lot of things in music. It's, it's a vague term, um, but you know, there's the, the music producer who's putting together the composition. There's the, um, the songwriter, there's the vocal producer, there's the engineer. So there's a really a lot that goes into making a song. If you want to go and you want to go on and look up song production credits, you'll see that there's sometimes like three or four producers on a song and then three or four songwriters on a song. If you go and look at wow. a Justin Bieber song or an Ariana Grande song or just a, like a big Lady Gaga song, you'll see there could be like four or five people um, just on one song being accredited for production. Now, before I ask you this next question, I think it's important that the listeners understand what it means to mix and master a song like you brought up. So what does it mean when someone says, oh, I'm getting my song mixed and mastered? What does that mean? So the song is basically recorded in a rough facet where you have, let's say you have your musical composition and then you have your vocals that you've recorded onto the music. But then you need to get the song fine-tuned. You want to bring the, all the qualities of the song out. So mixing is when you go in and you fine-tune the kick, the snare, the hi-hat, the open hat, the every part of the drum section, um, all of the melodies, counter melodies, all of the instruments themselves, and you balance them out and you level them. You use equalizers, you use compressors. There's a bunch of different tools that you use. Um, when you see one of those huge boards that look like a spaceship in the studio, that's called a, a recording console. And typically within the recording console are all of these different tools to shape the sound waves to make them sound the way that you hear them when they come on a record. So if you go and you listen to a SoundCloud artist, uh, somebody um, that's maybe doesn't have, I don't want to, I want to put this the right way. Doesn't have access to yeah, a recording have, facility like to, Royal House. Yeah, to a large recording facility or like a major label style studio. Um, and then you go listen to like a Jay-Z song, you listen to a Drake song, you're going to hear how much 
more full and warm and loud the record is and how much more polished it is. And then mastering, once the song is mixed, mastering is the next step where you kind of just polish off the very um, the very top end of the song and just kind of bring all of the um, the vibrance, make make the song more vibrant kind of um I think would be like the, the best way to put it in, lay, in layman's terms. And these things that you're breaking down are important because there are a lot of people, as I'm sure you know, who want and dream about being in the music industry. And they might not have a resource that they can go and listen to someone like you who built this amazing facility, this amazing studio and has the background. So people really will appreciate you breaking that down. So I thank you for that. Now, the reason I wanted to ask those questions about the technical terms is because can you just give a quick brief description of what the process or and or the timeline is from the time someone comes into royal house and is like hey i want to get a beat from you guys i want to record this song and then i want to publish it or whatever the term may be and put it on so you can go on apple music and you can listen to it what does that process or timeline really look like if the artist is writing their own music and they come in and they they pick out a beat or a, a composition that they like the time would be based on how long it takes for them to write the song so some people take an hour, some people take eight hours, depends on what kind of song uh, and what genre and how many vocal stacks they're going to be, if they're doing harmony sections and a bridge. And, you know, so let's say it takes them five hours to write and record or six hours to write and record their song. Then once you know, they take it home, they'll sit with it. Maybe they'll want to fine tune it. Maybe they'll want to come in a week later and I want to change this or I want to go back over this and then we can start mixing it. Then the mixing session starts. Mixing session can be is also based on how many instruments we call them stems. When you're looking at a song file session um, on a DAW program, like we use Pro Tools, and let's say there's twelve or fifteen tracks. The kick, the kick drums one track, snares one track, piano's one track, bass drums one track, and so on and so forth. So these are like the different layers of the yeah, beat, yeah. technically. Layers to make the song. Some songs with vocals could have 80. Oh, wow. There could be like 60 vocal tracks of harmonizing and over harmonizing and then doubling and tripling and you'll take you'll take the the vocals and you'll pan some to the right, pan some to the left. So you get that you get that kind of um whole sound where you know it really fills up when you go to the chorus of a song a chorus is a lot larger so we typically be panning vocals right left and center and then you're doing ad lib tracks um so it really depends a mix could take four hours a mix could take eight hours a mix could take multiple days depending on if there's a tons of live instruments involved there's a little bit more eqing and compressing that you do whether than if you're just working inside the computer um using emulated sounds from different programs, you know, that have piano and drums and synths and stuff like that, that are pre-mastered. So, you know, it could take a day to do a song and mix and master it. It could take two days. It really depends on the genre and the artist. It's kind of hard to say. So why don't we do this? If you are in Michigan or if you're in a surrounding state, or even if you want to make the trip and fly to Royal House, how can someone go about booking a session at Royal House? Well, just call Brandon on his cell phone, 586-883-0431. Yeah. Or you email the studio, royalhousebooking at Gmail, um, or you go to our Instagram, at royalhouserecording, and you DM us and say, you know, hey, I want a session. I mean, typically people reach out through Instagram all the time. We don't okay. advertise anywhere. There's really no place to advertise this kind of a, of a product like Royal House because it's a very boutique 
exclusive kind of a thing. So it really is a one of a kind experience. If you are an artist, I wouldn't know where to advertise for it. And you know, and it's like we um, are typically booked anywhere between one and four weeks out. And, you know, because we work with one client at a time in the building. So we like to keep it private. We typically are doing one to three sessions a day. Most of our days at the studio are a minimum of 12 hours. Sometimes when we get people that just want to book, we have a five hour minimum, want to book five hours. We'll do, we could potentially be doing like a 17 hour day with like 30, 40 minutes in between to clean up and then bring the next client in. And the guys that work at the studio for me also, I just want to say it's an honest, I know people say this a lot, like they use the word, it's a blessing. I got to tell you something, Brandon and Julian that work at the studio with me are legitimately beyond that. It's like a miracle to find guys that are going to be as dedicated as you are about your own business. Did you listen to my episode? I'm not sure it just dropped and I know you're busy, but I had another business owner. She's in the baking industry and something I said to her, I said, it's so hard to find employees that care about your business as much as you do, because they might not have an, as much skin in the game as you do, or they just might not give a shit. It just comes down to that. But I know personally, Brandon and Julian, and they really are the best of the best as well. So I'm sure they're going to appreciate that shout out that you give them. Now let's switch this conversation to more of a business focused conversation, because as you know, and as you said, the best of the best is about the shit that we're not taught in school. So what was the biggest problem you faced when trying to start a business from the ground up? This business is, like I said, it's a very hard business. I was moving from Los Angeles where there's a ton of recording studios to a place where there aren't very many recording studios, but also at the same time, there's no infrastructure for the music business in metropolitan Detroit. So me not having lived here and not having even tapped into what there was here, it took a while to be able to get the studio booked. And I've raised my prices over the years. We're in our fifth year of business, you know, and we're booked every day. It did not start like that. The first year was very, very slow. And like I said, there was really nowhere to advertise for it. And it's not the kind of business where I'm going to put up billboards and just have a million people just coming into the studio, fucking shit up and, you know, drinking and spilling shit. It's like, I kind of have to make sure that the clients are not going to be like rowdy and, and doing crazy because it's a music studio. I mean, people are doing all sorts of crazy shit during sessions. Yeah. You know, I have a great R. Kelly story, you know, if we want to share in Let's a little bit. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, I mean, we had um, we had interesting 36 hours with R. Kelly at the studio. Someone had taken a shit on the front <laughs> lawn, kind of like on the side of the building, and I had it on tape. And I, when I went to the studio in the morning, I'm like, what the fuck is this on the side of the wall in the front corner of the building? <laughs> it looks like Benihana's. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> so you know, Brandon's cleaning it up while dry heaving and Mike's videotaping him laughing. And, um, and I email the label and I say, you know, I have some video here of a guy watching out for a girl coming off of the, the tour bus in the parking lot, goes in the kitchen, grabs a roll of paper towel, comes outside, holds the door for her and, and is handing her paper towel for her to wipe her ass and then take that paper towel and shove it into a rain drain. You know what I mean? R. Kelly was on some, he had some weird shit going on. When he came in the studio, he 
was covered by a blanket. Meanwhile, there's no one else in the studio. It's one client at a time. They wanted us to cover all of the cameras in the studio. Like, I'm not covering the fucking cameras. What do you plan on doing in the place where I need to cover my security cameras? Yeah, fuck that. He wanted one room at 76 degrees, one room at 72 degrees. He wanted two lamps, a table, and a curtain around this one area in the live room. Like, what are you about to do in there? Like, anything that you've ever seen about this guy, this guy's a piece of shit. Anything, I mean, they, he wouldn't let the girls go to the bathroom inside. He's making them go to the bathroom outside. Oh my God. So I emailed the label and I said, look, like I got to have this wall restained. Some girl just fucking sprayed her dinner like on the side and then shoved, <laughs> shoved the waste into a fucking downsprout, you know? And um, they said, never in my 18 years of, of working with Mr. Kelly, I think it was Capitol Records, um, have we ever heard of anything like this? I said, why don't you give me a call? I got on the phone with her. I said, listen, I'm not looking for like some blackmail shit. I have a security camera of this girl going around the corner. And one of the guys, R. Kelly's guys holding a roll of paper towel that he got from the kitchen. I have 24 cameras at the studio. The guy was like that Charmin man. I saw, <laughs> I, I saw everything. I said, so rather than have to get in a situation, just send me five grand to like restain this, this wall and have the shit cleaned up and give my guy some extra money for having to clean up this girl's shit. Oh my and, God. Um, and she said, I don't believe it. You have to send me the footage. So let me, let me tell you something. The fact that you don't believe it, but you can Google R. Kelly's name and the first thing that comes up is urine and fecal matter. Like don't play games with me. And we got off the phone. I never sent her any of the footage or anything. And I had like two days later, I had like five grand in the account that they ACH'd over real quick because they didn't want any problems, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, I'm not going to go sell it to He sounds like TM. a piece of garbage anyway from everything that's yeah, going on Yeah, he's a total now, piece of so. shit and a weirdo. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? This is a beautiful property. You got someone fucking taking a dump on the outside of the gate? Like you're fucking, <laughs> the fuck is going on with you guys? I want to talk about that advice from a business aspect for someone that is striving to be in the music industry. What would you say for someone that wants to be a producer? I'd say buy 10 subways and make passive income and go golfing every day. Oh my God. It's much easier. This is a very tough business. It's a very, very tough business. It really is. I mean, you know, the older I've get now I have kids and a wife and the things are expensive and I got very fortunate from a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of hours at the studio, a lot of relationship building for me to be in a position to be like really making money in this business. I mean, I've been in and around the music business for I'm 39 years old. I was must have been like 24 or something like that. 25. I mean, it's a long time. My whole life just like went by. You know, I'm like bald and fat. He's now. sitting here. He's like wrinkly as hell. My face is fucking drooping on my tits or either side of my belly button. His shirt is ripping from his arms. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I mean, for real, if someone wants to do this, I think what Roger doesn't want to say or maybe he's indirectly saying is you got to be ready to, to sacrifice everything. Yeah. And the work and the dedication that you're going to put in, you're going to get sleepless nights. You're going to be, you know, probably have crying moments. You're going to have all these things, but that's typical for someone that's want to chasing their dreams or someone that's trying to be successful. 
there's no easy way to get there. It's so much more worth it. Also, when you come out on the other end successful, having had all the struggles, I mean, if the shit's just handed to you right off the top, it doesn't mean anything. That's why I never worked for my family because it just didn't mean anything. It wasn't, it didn't make me feel good about myself. It, it actually did the opposite. I'd rather have the hard work, the struggles, you build the esteem and, and you feel good about yourself I and mean, you're successful, you're making money. What about someone that wants to be a rapper or a singer? Would you have any advice for them? Or same thing, maybe maybe steer them towards the direction of Jimmy John's instead of Subway? Yeah, I mean, what's that other one? You know, Jersey Mike's. Yeah, fucking Jersey Mike's, bro. And you can go back, go out to Newark and open up a Jersey Mike's at the train station. Honestly, it's going to be the same thing. It's all about consistency. You have to consistently put music out. You have to have your visuals for your music, your music videos. They need to be wild. They need to be crazy. You need to be doing things that other people aren't doing. Your creativity needs to be on another level and you need to have a team around you of people that are gonna help you because it's very hard to do it by yourself. Make the music, stay creative and handle the business. It's a lot of work, but it's all about the consistency. I don't know anyone, I honestly can say, I do not know anyone that was serious about their career in music that stayed consistent for a number of years and didn't show signs of success. Maybe they didn't get 500,000 records sold, but maybe they're getting three, four, $5,000 a show. Maybe they're getting three, four, $5,000 a feature. They're something that I would call like a working class artist where maybe they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year because they're selling their merchandise and they have different gimmicks and different things that they're doing to be able to make the money. Not everyone in music is going to be making three, four, five million dollars a yeah, year. These people have different streams of income. Yeah, and, and touring and doing all this different stuff. But I know guys that are from Detroit that never blew up on a major, major level, but they're still doing at least a couple hundred thousand dollars a year on music. Yeah. E easily, you know. I mean, I've seen something, uh, obviously, you know who Sada Baby is. Yeah. Sada Baby has a huge song. I'm not sure if you use TikTok, but he has a huge song on TikTok right now that's like, you know, probably blowing him up. And it's crazy what one app can do. He, he's one of the hardest working guys out here in yeah. Detroit. I mean, he has so many, his YouTube views total are in, they're astronomical. He consistently put out music, consistently put out videos, consistently worked with other guys that were also on the come up or had, you know, a larger following than him and building his network more and more. And he also has a great personality and he's a, he's an outspoken guy. He's outgoing and it, it's his personality as well, which shows in his music, the way he dances, the way he talks, the way he jokes around. I mean, he's actually great at basketball also, but his personality too is a really big thing. You know, you can just go out there and you put out music and you do stuff, but it's about your interaction and people seeing how you interact with other people that sometimes makes you fall in love with who they are um, as a person, not just as an artist and with their music. And and I think that's such a big thing today because there's artists that would have died out a long time ago, like Plies has a huge following on social media because he's funny. The guy hasn't put music out for 12 years, but because of his personality, he's still able to generate income, whether it's from doing uh, appearances and, and different stuff like that. Whatever it may be. Now, Roger, we're coming to the end of the interview, so I just have a few more Thank questions God. for you. Jesus. Do you have my money? Uh, the money is maybe lost in the mail with the whole USPS thing going on. It okay. might be lost, something like okay. that. But Makes sense. I want to ask you, is there anything that you think I missed in regards to business 
music, the entertainment industry as a whole? Is there anything I'd miss um, in terms of you giving advice to the listeners? Because as much as we have been joking around on this episode, there is quality content here. There's things that people can learn from if they are wanting to be in the music industry. So is there anything I missed off the top of your head that you can be like, oh shit, someone needs to know this and this is why? I mean, I was not a business savvy person. I was more into the music. So I learned by little by slip ups and failures. That's, that's, that's the only way I learned because I didn't go to college and I didn't even want to learn about that kind of stuff. I was more of like a free spirited, um, kind of a wild kid. And I was more into really just like making the music and perfecting my craft. I mean, I'd be in the studio for five years straight. I didn't leave Los Angeles for a few years or I'd come go home for like a week. I mean, there was a period of time of like 20 months that I just stayed in the studio in LA and never left. And, ju- and just, just focused and practiced. My friends would be going out to this club and that club and, and doing whatever. And I would be like, no, nah, I'm in the studio. I would just stand there by myself playing the keys, perfecting my craft, sacrificing all this other bullshit that doesn't mean anything anyways, and really spent the time dedicating to becoming better at what I want to do. And you have to be insane. You have to be crazy about what you're doing. Yeah. To me, it sounds like you were being a leader in your community, in your social circle. And on this show, I urge everyone at the end of the show, I urge them to be a leader no matter what you do, because part of being a leader is understanding that that sacrifice that you're talking about, it has to come with success. You have to sacrifice certain things that you like to do or certain places that you want to go to that you see your peers at. And uh, something that really aggravates me is you see people have like FOMO, fear of missing out. In today's world, you can't have that shit when you're trying to start something, when you are trying to perfect whatever craft it is. Let me say something about that. Yeah. Because that was a big thing where I'd be like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. And this, let me tell you something. When you're 20 or you're 19 or you're even 25 years old, Work hard then so that when you're 40, when you're 45, you can be the one that's on the yacht in the Bahamas with your family while these other guys are just starting to try to figure out what they're doing at 30 and 35. You've already nailed it out of the park. You've already made your money. You have other streams of passive income that you've invested in and you can more or less kick back at that point or at least start to um, rather than partying through your entire 20s and into your early 30s and then sitting there being like fuck what the fuck did i just do like look at this guy who's been busting his ass for 10 years already now i'm 10 years behind him yeah i never wanted that to happen yeah you know so thank you for that two last questions for you number one who has been your favorite artist that you've worked with or that has recorded at the studio or anything like that who has been that artist We've had so many artists come into the studio in five years. I, I could never pick out a favorite. I have, I love the local guys. I love the guys that are from Michigan that are, that are coming in, that are independent, that have that hunger and have that drive and want the help and are dedicated to their craft. I mean, those are the guys I love. We get tons of big artists coming in all the time on tours and even off tour coming in for a week or so at a time, big platinum recording artists. And a lot of those guys are great too and super cool and down to earth and wouldn't be what you would expect and just... um but I, I love the guys that are from here. I mean, that's why I built the studio is to give people an opportunity that are from Michigan that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to record in that kind of a setting and receive that level of sound quality and, and production and, and guidance and stuff. I mean, that's my main thing. There's too many guys yeah. for me to name one. All right. Well, he's not choosing favorites, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, last question, Raj, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early twenties? If there's one thing that I would learn in my twenties is that, um, honestly, I, I couldn't even tell you, I wouldn't want to know anything else in my twenties because then my life wouldn't have been the same. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I would have told you the first thing I thought was a cop out. And that's that I wish that I would have known that I was going to make it in yeah. the end. So I didn't have to have anxiety for the last 12 years, <laughs> <laughs> All right. but it wouldn't have been any fun. All right. Well, there you have it. Roger Goodman, founder of Royal House Recording. Thank you, Raj. This has been an amazing episode. This is a topic that people do not get to learn too much about. So I appreciate you taking the time out, stopping by here, recording this app. Thanks, Raj. It's been, yeah. it's been great. If anyone has any questions, email the studio Royal House Booking at Gmail or DM the studio at Royal House Recording on Instagram. And I mean, we respond to everything and everybody, no matter how ridiculous it is. Everyone, this has been a fucking amazing episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Make sure you're following us on our socials at TBOTBPod. And as always, you lead by example. I don't want to see anyone listening to this show that's a follower. You're always a leader. Thanks, everyone. I'll talk to you next week on the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success.